Oh, it would help if I actually played it. Welcome to In the Know with Kat Bavano. Today, I have my wonderful, wonderful co-host, Dr. Tay. And we also have a very special guest, Dr. Erin McGee, who is a herpetologist. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Okay. Yes. I love it. I love it. So for those who don't know, what is a herpetologist? So a herpetologist is someone who studies reptiles and amphibians, and I specifically study lizards. Hmm. Which lizards? Is there any lizards in particular? Yeah, so I was focused on three species of lizard down in the southwestern United States. So Yarrow spiny lizard, Sclopper's yervi, the striped plateau lizard, uh, Sclopper's virgatus, and then the ornate tree lizard, Eurosaurus onatus. Nice. And when you say you were studying them, what exactly were you looking at or looking for? So I was interested uh, in their diets and I wanted to know how they might be impacted by climate change. Um, mm. So essentially, like if I were to ask you like, what do lizards eat, what would you guys say? Crickets, small Lines. bugs, you know, what? depending on the size of the lizard, a mouse, bull. Exactly, so like most people are gonna say insects, but the question is like, where are those insects coming from? And so there hasn't been a lot of research like looking into that. And so my uh, graduate advisor was an aquatic entomologist and he was like, you know, I really want to work with you, but I don't know a whole lot about lizards. So how are we going to bring your knowledge of lizards? Because I have been doing research since I was a freshman in undergrad and my knowledge of aquatic inverts and put them together in a project. So we came up with uh, this project of like our lizards eating insects that are aquatic insects, so insects that begin their larval period in the water, and then when they become adults, they fly into the terrestrial system. So are they eating these insects? And if they are, how might these lizards be impacted by uh, drought due to human-caused climate change? Nice. So is it, are they primarily eating insects that start in the water, or is there a balance, or what? So um, for my dissertation research, it was kind of like inconclusive. We didn't find any significant difference, but that was because I was having trouble getting the proper sample size in my areas, mm -hmm. which in and of itself uh, lets us know that there is some broader issue going there because the three lizard species I was looking at are like the three most abundant in uh, that particular area and they should have been literally everywhere and and mm -hmm. so my undergraduate uh, per, um, advisor actually had been working in that area for 40 plus years and mm -hmm. when i was talking to him about it he was like yeah i've been working in the same 100 meter reach of canyon and i can tell you that the numbers have declined like on like the first day, you know, I might normally get, you know, 30 or so lizards, but now I'm struggling to, to, you know, get 15 or 20 or so. So like, we know that it's not just me and like my sampling skills and stuff like that. We have historical data to show that for whatever reason, some of our populations in certain areas are dropping off. So, wow. yeah. So, I mean, and I think for Kat and I, you know, we already thinking of like, what, what does that mean in the big picture and the big scheme of things? But for those who may not understand, you know, going from a lizard or from reptiles and amphibians to the bigger picture, and it's in this aspect of climate control and climate issues, what is the bigger picture here, you know, behind the research and the need for this research? So with lizards, uh, they're essentially, my my uh, undergrad advisor used to call the baby ones ecological popcorn because everything eats them. But really in general, they like, good night. <laughs> they are ecological popcorn period at no matter uh, what stage because everything does eat them at every life stage. Um, and so like they're an important food source for a lot of things in the ecosystem. They eat a lot of things. So like with nutrient cycling, they're important, but also they're pretty decent indicators of telling us that something may be wrong. Because if you're like a lot of people like are like, oh, well, we should be studying, you know, stuff like, um, like mountain lions and things like that, these charismatic animals. But if you think about the natural history of a mountain lion, um, like they try to stay 
like out of sight. They they don't want to be seen, caught, anything. You like it, it's much more difficult to study them. You have to go through a whole lot more permitting to study them. You might only catch like two or three in the season where at least for and even with the population declines, I was still getting, you know, 50 plus lizards yeah. at least um, each season. So they're they're good indicators for what's going on in the environment. Uh, and and you can have a high enough sample size normally to kind of be like hmm, something's going on here versus like in a normal time period, you might only get like one or two mountain lions anyway so it will be hard to be like okay what's going on here because it's not unusual for it to be difficult to find one wow okay yeah so <clears throat> let me see if i can break this down a little bit you know you said a lot yeah um so for the insects that are born in the water so i think of dragonflies right so yes. they're they start off underwater as their small little babies and then they grow up leave the water and then they become food for lizards right so yes. now we have lizards who should have a large population size but for whatever reason more than likely human interactions they're now smaller and so mm -hmm. you're not getting the data you need to prove that climate change is part of the problem right am i there am i am i on there yeah okay 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 and then so you know working with lizards because they populate much faster than mammals, right? So they're going to have a whole bunch of babies and those babies are going to pop out and they get eaten. So the more you make, the more likely you'll survive. Hold on, but this is this is new for me. So, okay. So, okay, let's slow down. So, so now, because y'all about to lose me because I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the mouse experimental model person, right? So I don't, oh, I've yeah. never done reptiles, amphibians. So when you say they populate, faster than humans. Okay, I, I I get that, but what can we break it down a little bit more for me to understand that? Because I understand mice and I understand rats and you know rabbits and stuff because those are the things that I work with the most. But for lizards, what does that look like as far as reproduction and when you're utilizing them as an experimental model? So um, what I'm doing is not ex really experimental. Um, mm -hmm. It is more observational and natural history based. And that's something that you really do get into a lot when you're doing um, any study that is around ecology, because you can't even really take, you can't take a whole entire ecological system and replicate it in the lab. So like, it's never going to be almost, it's almost never going to be in a controlled experiment, depending on what you're working with. Um, you can, you can try to control for as much as you possibly can, but it's not ever going to kind of like look like your mouse experiments. But when you're thinking about lizards who might be having, uh, up to 20, uh, eggs or 20 young in each clutch, and they might have two or three clutches of a year versus mm -hmm. something like a mountain lion, which would have maybe one baby a year. Um, like lizards there, they reach, uh, well, let me take that back. The lizards that I was studying reach sexual maturity much quicker um, than like a mountain lion. There are some, you know, there's always the exception to the rule that might take a little bit longer to reach sexual maturity and stuff like that. But like they reach sexual maturity faster. They have more young, they have young more frequently. Um, and so then they're just a whole lot more of them to, to be around versus some of these other animals. Wow. Yeah, and I took, and correct me if I'm wrong, but mice they can breed year round how many how often do they go into heat so it's so usually you could probably get them to lay offspring offspring you know what i'm saying but in like 20 21 days is the full cycle right like soon as mom and dad do their thing 21 days later we should have pups um and then maybe a few more days later for them to just chill and mate and um uh, breastfeed the pups um, before mom and dad goes at it again. Usually in a lab, though, you would want to separate them so mm -hmm. they're not trying to do too much in the midst of it so you can keep uh, order as far as what pups came when as well. But they could they could do whatever they want to do. But the same thing with humans, right? Some humans don't listen to the rule of, you know, <laughs> lay off of her for a second. Right. Um, her. <laughs> right, right. So, but the only difference is it's not they're not coming out 21 days later. So it, it is a difference. So I, th thank you for breaking that down for me because I don't sometimes because you have never had that experience with those things, you can't really understand it. So that makes a lot of sense that they're not having 
as many, but they, they have a lot more than humans, but not as many as some of the other species. So that makes sense. Yeah, I would say um, the similarity would be, you know, mice, they're, they're prey, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of things eat mice. And lizards, a lot of lizards, not all, but a lot of lizards, they're prey, especially when they're babies. Mm -hmm. So the more you have, you know, the average is the more will survive. So that's the similarity of reptiles and mammals. Right. But the time frame is probably is the difference, right? Yeah, because yeah. lizards are not having babies year round. They they yeah. definitely do have a breeding season, um, which mm -hmm. tends to be somewhere between uh, May and September. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is all interesting and all new stuff to me. I told you <laughs> before, I was like, eventually my face is going to be like, because this is new to me. <laughs> so this is great. So can we rewind it for a second? Because I know we went deep straight into your research. But, you know, for those who are interested in saying, hey, you know, they may there may be somebody listening or that looks at this video later on that says, I love reptiles, I love amphibians. I'm interested in maybe pursuing this type of journey in STEM. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you even got to this stage in life? And I know you're newly PhD, so congratulations Thank with you. that as well. Um, but can you tell us about, you know, what, first of all, what inspired you to even go in this direction? And then how did you carve that path? Yeah, sure. So um, I, there is like no time in, in my life that I can really remember not wanting to work with animals. Like I always wanted to work with them and, and my parents knew this and I was lucky enough to have parents who were supportive, but they didn't know like all of the different ways that I could go into that. So they mm -hmm. were like, you could either be a zookeeper or you can be a veterinarian, but zookeepers don't make enough money. And when you turn 18, you need to be out of this house and don't come back. So you could be a veterinarian. Um, and so like, that's what I thought that I was gonna be for a very long time. But then in, at some point in high school, I had read this book about a man who was like, it was like his memoir of being a veterinarian in some like back country towns, farmer area. And it, like he was talking about all the stuff he was, I was like, mm, this is not for me. I don't know what I want to do. I want to still work with animals, but I'm not quite sure like what I should be doing. And so then um, when I went to college and I went to uh, Howard University in DC uh, and I got introduced to my undergrad advisor um, pretty much like right before my freshman year started. And he was like, yeah, just come work in, in my lab. And then because of him, I got uh, into this program called the Environmental Biology Scholars, which uh, allowed me to do two years worth of field research and uh, lab research. And so like then, like that's uh, the summer after my freshman year, I went out and I did ecology research for the first time. And that was like when I was like, dang, people really pay you to come out every summer and to catch lizards? Say less. <laughs> Say less. Like this is this is what I'm gonna be doing then. Um, and so like that's kind of how I ended up in like ecology, natural history, natural resources type stuff. But I was always like interested when I was um, in high school. I went to California Academy of Math and Science because I was like, oh, I need to go to a high school that's gonna help me be a scientist this time ever. Whatever. They were focused on engineering, which really didn't did not help me really uh that wasn't what i was hoping for um but i did participate in like the um uh, national national society of black engineers and i did like a lot around nesby and i got to go to two of their conferences as a high school student and so that was pretty impactful to be able to uh, just like network and connect with people that way um but i was just very much like i'm just gonna take whatever opportunity comes my way i was very much a yes person for a long time it's a, it's taken me I, even now it's hard for me to say no to like different opportunities and stuff because it's just like um as long as there as long as you think that you will have fun in it um i would say to do it because you never know the people who you're gonna meet and like how they can open doors for you and who they might know that they could introduce you to um because those opportunities could take you a long way you just never know so i've always been like is it gonna does it like is it gonna advance me to my goal yes or no and then if for either of those answers it's gonna be like is it gonna be fun um yes or no so if it's like 
Uh, yes, it's going to advance me to the, my goal. And no, it's not going to be fun. I might be a little bit more hesitant, but I might still do it. Um, and if it's like a no, it's not going to advance me. And no, it's not going to be fun. I'm not going to do it. But if it's a no, it's not going to advance me. But yes, it might be fun. Then I'm probably more likely to say yes to that um, as well. Because it's just like you, you never know where one opportunity will take you. Absolutely. That's dope. And what college did you say you went to? So I went to Howard University, which is a historically black university. Um, and then for grad school, I went to the University of Arizona. That's where I got uh, my master's and PhD in wildlife conservation and uh, management. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. So and I think a lot of times we as a people don't think about the HBCUs going, doing these types of studies, you know, ecology or wildlife or animal. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up and then saying, hey, I, I made that conscious choice yeah. even in high school to be like, I want to go to a high school that's science-based. I want to study animals. I don't care which one. I'm finding some yeah. kind of animal <laughs> to study. And we, we get away from that that uh, idea that you have to be a veterinarian, yeah. if you love. I mean, I love veterinarians, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, but that's the only job. Exactly. When you yeah, but, and, and I'm a Spellhouse baby, so I was I was going to HBCU. I really wanted to go to Spellman, <laughs> but Howard gave me a better scholarship, so I had to go to Howard. Um, but it ended up, like, working out for me. But, um, like, I do, like, a lot of uh, social media work where I'm kind of, like, like, just trying to, like, be visible and show people like, like, you know, black women can be herpetologists and stuff like that. Because just like you said, we don't like a lot of times we just don't know that it's an option. And so like, I just want to be able to like provide people with like options and resources um, to pursue these type of, you know, ology like careers. Absolutely. And yeah, we, we all on the same boat. We I think with that, <laughs> we all want to do that, which is awesome. But speaking of what were you going to say? Speaking of that, um, I know you are, well, first of all, I already know that you're a AAAS IFTN ambassador because that's how I met you. Yeah. But can you also tell us about your science communication, like uh, uh, the fun games that you have, wink, wink, can you really <laughs> highlight that, but also kind of talk about a little bit more about why you do the things you do on social media platforms and what you provide as far as resources and or exposure to your career. Because I think that's also important because a lot of times we think about like, people utilizing their platforms to advertise something they're selling mm -hmm. and you're doing the opposite, right? Like you yeah. just expose individuals, you want to educate and so on. So can you tell us about some of those options that you provide and what you do and why? Sure. So um, I'll, I'll just kind of start from the beginning a little bit. So when I, when I started, when I stepped foot in grad school, I kind of noticed how my grad advisor, Michael Bogan, like, he was on Twitter and like sharing stories and sharing pictures and and this that and the other, and like we we I went to my first conference with him and people were like, oh my gosh, you know Michael? Michael's so amazing! <laughs> like he's so great! Like you're so lucky to be his grad student. This that and the other. And I'm sitting here like, y'all don't even know this man. <laughs> and like and I'm just kind of like, I need people to feel that way about me when I graduate. Mm from grad school so I could get a job because <laughs> I know it's hard out here. I don't, I don't want to be a professor. I don't know exactly what it is I want to do, but I know it's not that. And I need to figure out like somebody, somebody needs to notice me. Um, and so like, I just, I started on Twitter and I just started sharing my experiences. Um, and then like, you know, shout out to Michael because like he was very supportive through all this and, and he kind of like set me down and we talked about it and he was just like, like, what is it that you really want to get out of this? And so like we were talking about it and I was like, you know, I want to like advance my career, but I also want to, you know, uh, like give back to to my communities and stuff like that. And he's like, okay, well, we have to think about like ways in which you can do this that also allows you to um, finish the PhD because like social media is a whole job in and of itself. It take it can take forever. Um, and so, uh, so then we were like, okay, so what is something that you can do that you can do repeatedly, have people coming back, get like engagement, stuff like that, but it's also not taking up too much of your time. And so one day I was out in the field, I was in a study site where there wasn't a whole lot of lizards. I saw a lizard that we had caught previously. I was like, oh, we need to catch her again. And so, um, 
I, I was going to catch her, and then as soon as she saw me, I don't know if she recognized me or if she recognized my lizard lasso, but she was like, nah, I'm out. Um, <laughs> and then she started running. And when I say, like, and, like, I was running after her, and I mean, I was, like, actually running. And, uh, like, at some point, I thought I had lost her. I, like, turned to look over my shoulder, and, like, there she was on the tree. Like, I was just, like, looking around, like, where is she? And then she was on the tree. And so when we catch them, we give them paint marks. And so she had a bright orange five on her back uh, to camouflage her. And so, I mean, not to camouflage, but to she was camouflaged, but it, the five broke up her camouflage. And so um, before I went to catch her, I took a picture. And so like, I ended up catching her or whatever, but later on I posted that picture and I and I kind of like told the story on Twitter. And so like, I had maybe like one like and two comments and I was like, you know what? This could be a thing. <laughs> like I didn't even need I have like you know having like some validation from other people is great but like when it comes to like like sometimes I'm just I get an idea in my head and I'm just like I don't care what nobody else says this is this right. is idea this is what I'm gonna do and that's kind of how it was where I was like I have an idea for this and so I ended up creating this game called uh hashtag find that lizard which is uh kind of like like think about like where's Waldo so essentially mm -hmm. I go out and I take pictures of lizards and they're camouflaged in their environment and then people have to like find the lizard in in the photo um, and so then I typically post like a reference photo to let people know what it is that they're looking for. Um, and I post facts about the lizards, which also double as hints of um, where the lizard might be. So people need to pay attention to the things that I'm actually typing. Um, and, and it just ended up kind of like growing into this community of people getting together on uh, Wednesdays, like once a week. So I've been doing it almost every week once a week since 2018 i did have to take some some breaks in there because I, I was trying to finish my dissertation and then i finished the dissertation and i was like who am i trying <laughs> 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 to figure that out um but uh it, it ended up being like a lot of fun and it and it was a way for me to like really engage with people and i use my platform to talk about uh issues that were like important to me and like my experiences as a black woman in a predominantly like white and male field. Um, and and it's just kind of like open doors for me. And so uh, there there is definitely like, I it started off as like, just like something to give, but now that it's actually like become a lot more work, it is something that I am trying to like figure out ways to like monetize a little bit. Like I, I want it to be inclusive and I want it to be accessible, but I'm also putting in like a lot of work. Um, in a lot of time and a lot of my own resources. And I'm just like, all right, how are we gonna, we gotta balance the scales here a little bit. Um, and so like, I think that that's uh, a delicate line to walk for a lot of science communicators because it's like, there's almost, there's only so much you can really do with your time for free. Um, like, like at, it gets to a certain point where it's just like, cause like at first, I was like responding to every comment. I, if I wasn't responding, I was liking all of them. I was retweeting all of them. And then it got to a point where I was like, one, I'm burned out from life in general. Um, two, I'm like social, like like I've, I've accomplished a lot of my goals here already. Um, and and I wanna, and I, I need to figure out like, how am I gonna revamp this? Where am I gonna take this? Um, and that type of thing. and uh you know the there's a the demise of twitter going on right now and you know it's just a lot of factors to to consider and trying to like figure things out because it's always changing like my social media has always like reflected who i was as a person and now saying mm -hmm. that it kind of makes sense for how like the last year or so was because i was like because like one of my friends recently called me flaky and i was like you know what that's how I've been on social media too, because I had a lot going on. It's been a real transition between being a grad student and not a grad student. And then I moved from Arizona to LA and, and I've been in you know, my parents' house. They told me not to come back, but you know, <laughs> LA, I had to, I, it took me some time to figure it out. I had one job, like the first job I had out of grad school was uh, I was working for a PR firm that did PR for med tech and biotech companies and I hated it. Um, and now I'm at the zoo. 
which is like in person and it's like an hour drive from home and stuff. And before I was a hundred percent remote and like, it's, I've been going through a lot of changes. So it's hard to stay on top of stuff for everybody else. when I can barely stay on top of stuff for me. Right. Life is lightning. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> as you become an adult and as you start to get older as an adult, you know, your true friends and family, they gonna still be there. But sometimes you just gotta be like, I need a moment. Yeah. I need some time to myself. I need to re- woosah right yeah. now. And I'm gonna come back to you. It has definitely been a process. So yeah, I know I went all over the place. <laughs> no, that was good. I appreciate your transparency with that and being open because I think a lot of us go through these things. And I actually told Kat, cause Kat came to visit recently and we both were going through things and we had just met for the first time physically meeting each other and we were going through things at the same time. So it's, you know, when, until you say these things, people don't usually share. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of us are going through something. It's just very, I always think it's awesome yet troubling that a, a lot of times, especially for us as black women, having to always carry the weight of everything in the world, whether it's your job, your family, you know, your partner, um, what you do in the community, because all of us have those extra things we do outside of our nine to five. And then when something goes wrong, it impedes everything, but you still have to like go onto the podcast interview with a solid face, smiling, interacting, having a conversation as if nothing else is happening that's causing any challenges in your life. So, yeah. so I completely understand you. I literally I just did. put a message on my Facebook saying, hey, I had to take a time off from social media to try to get my mind right, my mental health and stuff. And I'm going through things. So I, we understand. <laughs> we understand. <laughs> I have to say, like, preach, preacher. <laughs> I, was a, I was a victim of the Kia boys recently. Oh, now no. I'm trying to figure out a new car, insurance. I got a toddler. Oh, my God. And then... Went to go get a try and get a car today, and they was like, "Oh, you only qualify for X amount." I'm like, "But my credit is right. Down. What are you talking about? The interest rates is, you know, I'm not even yeah. gonna go down that. <laughs> I had to come to the interview and be on the podcast, so I'm here, right? Right, regardless of what's going on, I'm here. So yes, thank you for being transparent and open and honest about your path and your journey because. I mean, we always say there's no straight line. It's up, down, sideways, mm-hmm. you know, a crevice you didn't see coming. <laughs> it just, it happens. You know what I mean? But Absolutely. also about the science communication part and taking on this job and responsibility of being a science communicator. I think a lot of people think you're just playing around with social media and kind of boasting about what you do in your nine to five, right? But half the time, first of all, in STEM careers, there's no such thing as a nine to five. Let's start there, right? (laughs) And then the other parts of it is when you take on the responsibility of utilizing your social media platforms, you have to be very strategic Mm -hmm. and think about what to put out there, what not to put out there. How are you going to enhance that interaction and communication with others? How am I going to continue my efforts to educate and so on? And like you already mentioned, the time consumption of all of that. And usually you're a one woman army. (laughs) So I I appreciate you sharing those things as well, because I think a lot of individuals think it's just an easy way of doing it. And we do have some people that strike, you know, gold. They're getting Mm -hmm. like a million dollars from doing whatever they're doing on YouTube or TikTok or, or so on. But the least favorable things are stuff like what we're doing, which is trying to highlight STEM careers and the stuff in in STEM and so on. It's not the most popular things. We're not dancing and we're not half naked and so on, right? So, yeah, I'm considering changing my MO. You know what? <laughs> you know what? Jen's just throwing a little something here and there, but do a little something, something out there, get them lights going. <laughs> then be like, oh yeah, science. <laughs> I'm gonna just, I'm gonna go like this. <laughs> yeah no i can't y'all if they don't laugh at me trying to but, but that's part that's part of it though too is like how how to show up as like your authentic self and stuff like mm-hmm. that because it's like you know not everybody needs to have everything but also like i'm trying to show you i'm a whole entire person but also like it's some stuff y'all don't y'all don't need to, y'all don't need to see or be a party <laughs> to Right. No, seriously. Like it's there's like, a Hey Dr. Tay and there's a Tay Tay. And there's yeah. a reason why y'all don't see Tay Tay on Hey Dr. Tay stuff. So I get you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Y'all about to see all of it. Now. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I mean, we gonna get back to you, Erin. <laughs> so speaking you know. of you know seeing all the other sides of you, what do you like to do outside of? Oh no, hold on. Before we get there, can I ask you this question out of curiosity? Once again, sure. a person that has no idea about this. You said the lizard lasso. Yes. In my head, I'm thinking a horse lasso, right? <laughs> Is it it's, similar? Like can you describe it to us? Sure. So it's kind of like that. And it actually gets into like a whole another side of things too. Um, <laughs> so I actually have I don't have my lizard lasso, but I have like this like mini aquarium net that I accidentally bought for my interns, um, which <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't supposed I didn't realize it was going to be this tiny. But essentially, like imagine that this part right here is a fishing pole. So uh -huh. like I have a fishing pole that's telescopic like this that I can expand and collapse as necessary. And then on the end of the of the fishing pole, instead of being a net like there, like this, it would be um, a slip knot. And so imagine that I can actually put my finger all the way through here. So this is the slip knot. I get the lizard's head through it. My finger's the lizard's head. And then I pull up. So it's like a lasso. So when you think about it, you get the lasso around a horse's neck or a cow's neck or something like that. And it tries to run and it collapses it. It's the mm -hmm. same thing with the lizard. Um, and so historically, this was actually called musing. Um, and so as a, yeah, exactly, exactly that, that face right there. And so as a black woman in the middle of nowhere with no Wi-Fi, no, no connection to nobody with white people who I don't even know like that using like this kind of language, I'm just like uncomfortable. And when I was an undergrad, I didn't have, um, the language to really like express that. And right. when I got to grad school and the more that I started to go to like these different, um, conferences and go to different like workshops and seminars and stuff like that I started to build the language and having cats started to build my own social media platform I was just like hey this term is not inclusive and is inaccurate we're not killing the lizards the lizards are not being harmed when I go out and I'm doing you know community events and I'm saying that I'm noosing lizards people's people's covering the kids ears and they're like upset they're like so you're hurting the lizard I'm like no and at that point you lost them you're you can't even teach them what you wanted to teach them anymore because the time that you have with them is now going to be spent on getting them to know that you're not hurting the lizard um and so I was like we should change this we should say something else and so i was like i don't really care what it is but let's start brainstorming some ideas and so i came up with the term lasso and that's kind of like what i stuck with and other people actually have been um using the term and uh, people have been like publishing with it and and stuff like that and and i'm very intentional about using it not just for those original two reasons of being more accurate and being inclusive but also it's like when you use it around other herpetologists and they're just like, oh, why are you using that term or what do you mean? And they're immediately on the defensive when you're when you're telling them that it's inclusive and it's more accurate. And they're just like, and I've had people be like, oh, okay, I see what you're saying. I'm still going to use the old term though. That's how you know that those people are not about the diversity, equity, and inclusion like they say they are. Like they don't they don't believe in like the the belonging and accessibility like they say they do. And so when you're trying to do whatever projects to get more black and brown people or whoever up in your programs, you know that those are not the people who are going to be on your side because they're not uh they're not doing what, like they're they're not open to doing the work and so like it also allows you to do like some like a little like a little uh, temperature test of what's going on with the people around you i think that's a very interesting perspective and, and take to that because i never thought about that aspect of it right because sometimes first of all all of us know like every field has their own vocabulary right like there's things if a if a, a person that's like only into numbers and math and whatever else that math consists of <laughs> and goes over <laughs> to maybe engineering or whatever engineering consists of there's different languages that they speak right so you know when you bring a new person into that world whether or not they stay there sometimes depends on the language itself mm -hmm. um so that's a very important aspect to it if it's not inclusive I, I'm, i've just never thought about that part i never thought about the actual verbiage used within the field being an issue when it comes to inclusivity so that's Names very thank you things. Yeah, like that's yeah. why it's the United States of America versus Turtle Island or any other indigenous name. The person <laughs> who is naming it and like that yeah. lets you know who was in power and what their value systems are. 
Right. Yeah, I um I spoke at UC Berkeley for their open event uh maybe five years ago or something like that. And it's like they opened the campus to the community and they were doing lizard lassoing, although I'm pretty sure they called it the other time. Yeah. And I walked over there as like one of the only black people around and was like, What is it called again? <laughs> no, and they were like, Oh, we're gonna and then they looked at me and I was like, Well, we're just gonna do this little yeah. thing around their neck. Right. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> and this was a game they were playing with kids. It was one of their hands-on activities for kids to use it right. to get plastic ones. But I was just like, oh. Right. Hey, UC Berkeley. I see. Exactly. <laughs> but it happens. I also wanted to ask you, I know you've been working with lizards, but were they the animal you always wanted to work with? Or what is your favorite animal? What did you want to work with? Uh, so currently my favorite animals are giraffes because I got to see them. Uh, in the wild. So I, I took my, uh, for my graduation gift from grad school, I took myself to Tanzania, Kenya, and I went on safari. Um, and so I was just like, why do you guys exist? It doesn't even make sense. Um, and so like, because of that, they're my favorite right now. Um, but uh, I, what I wanted to work on was like elephants or wolves. Um, and so like, I ended up with lizards, because that's what my undergraduate advisor was working on. And then when I was thinking about going to like, grad schools and I was like reaching out to different potential grad advisors people were just like I had this one guy be like oh you want to come like do like wolf or fox behavior or something like that you've been doing lizards why why do you think that like you could come here you don't you don't have the experience and I was like oh I guess I'll stay with lizards then um but like I, I really enjoy what I do like and I and I fell in love with lizards they're so cool um, but yeah, they were not my first choice. I, they weren't, they weren't even on my radar. So like, I can't even say where they were on the list cause I was not thinking about them. Um, but it just, you know, it was a happy accident or a happy on purpose accident. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I get it. I mean, and I honestly, I love cheetahs. I, I was like, I wanted to do research on cheetahs, but the reality is the bigger the animal, the mammal and bigger the mammal, the least amount of people doing research, the more red tape and the more white it yeah, is right it's so hard to get into yeah. i'm not saying it's impossible but it is definitely hard Absolutely. when you go up the food chain to carnivores and things like that so no i get it yeah cheetahs are my favorite by the way. favorite animal. tay do you have a favorite well just so i can uh feel like i belong in this conversation <laughs> so <laughs> i love cheetahs and leopards but i've never wanted to work with any animal so <laughs> <laughs> But I, I've always been infatuated with zoos and going to zoos, going into the wild. Like I, I would really love to take the trip to Tanzania, but the closest I've gotten was seeing like monkeys in the wild. Um, so maybe one day seeing, I, I would prefer to see some elephants and more cheetahs and leopards, but from a distance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, if you're ever in LA, I can walk you around the zoo. We're not doing any um, behind the scenes stuff right now, but you know. I can still walk around with you. So. Oh, you're not saying any. You know, you know what? <laughs> I could drive down there. I know y'all gonna be at Comic Con, but I mean, I could just drive yeah. down. There. It's like an hour flight. I can come. You, you, you know sure can. I'm just saying. Nice. My birthday is August first, so it's around. Okay. The so you know what I mean. Um, speaking of zoos, so you work at the LA Zoo. Yes. So what do you do? So uh, right now I'm in charge of our interns. Um, and so like they're doing uh, summer projects where they're doing research around uh, California native species. So not the actual zoo animals, but we have a couple of plots of undeveloped land. And so they're looking at uh, different plants and animals in those undeveloped spaces, trying to help us get some baseline information for doing restoration projects. Um, and so I just started this job in March. Um, and so I haven't had time to really establish any projects yet, but essentially when they hired me, they were just like, yeah, we want you to come in and focus on California native species and do like re some kind of like actual like conservation research around them, but design the projects in a way that uh, involves and includes the needs and, and the, and and to be in conversation with uh, communities around LA, especially black and brown ones that the zoo hasn't historically served. Nice. I like that. I like that. I know the Oakland Zoo, they're doing work with condors and mm -hmm. 
mountain lions, I think, as far as their native animals are concerned. I don't know if they're doing anything with the land. I'm sure they are. I just, I have no idea. Yeah. But that's really cool. And what, where would you like to go with this type of career? Like, do you want to stay at the zoo and kind of grow into doing more animal work or still doing like restoration work? Um, no. And, <laughs> and and I've already talked to my bosses about this, so I could totally talk about it. Um, but I want to go into entrepreneurship. And so okay. uh, eventually I want to kind of continue to do these same things that I'm already doing. Um, like I have like uh, essentially like three businesses that I want to start. Uh, one is like being like a contractor for principal investigators at universities, um, mm -hmm. where essentially like ever since everybody has to do broader impacts, I want to do something that's actually meaningful for the community. So I want them to hire me and give me a budget to design their broader impacts and to work with the communities to collect some kind of like data that's actually going to be useful, where it's so useful that some members of the community, whoever it is that is interested in and in doing more can get on like a paper or they can get like a poster or something out of it. Some kind of tangible thing other than the PI, PI being able to be like, yeah, I worked with such and such community or I did this project. Right. No, there needs to be some kind of lasting benefit to the community. Um, whether that's just, you know, with one or two members who have something that is actually going to help them advance their careers or, or just get some greater knowledge and things like that. Um, for the second part, I want to create um, luxury outdoor experiences for black and brown folks um, mm -hmm. that are free. And so I want to, uh, you know, have mm -hmm. programs for people who can pay, and they know that part of their uh, cost is going to making things accessible for people who can't afford it. Um, and then the third part is going into uh, media and I want to create a production company where I can, you know, produce like my own shows and stuff like that. And eventually um, somewhere that I would really love to see this is it being incorporated into like a university, um, like as a kind of like an annex department. Like I don't mm -hmm. want them to tell me what to do. I just want them to give me money and resources so that way <laughs> I can, you know, do like science communication um, that is a bit more broader than just like science journalism and stuff like that. I love that. I love that. Like the, yeah. the, the community piece, I know a lot of um, grants agencies are now like making sure that they extend their grant opportunities to allow for a person to go in and talk to the community about what they want to do in their community before mm -hmm. they go into the field, for lack of better words. Um, so I can see, I definitely see that as a huge connection to you making sure there's a broader impact aspect to it, but also since now people are like emphasizing the importance of bringing that community education and everything else into play, into the actual, whatever is the research or, observ or observation study, um, making sure that all those things are connecting in dots. So I, I definitely see that's, all those things, all your goals are huge, right? Yeah. Like I think, and they're important too. So thank you for I mean, sharing. I, I love it. I mean, that's, I, I, I mean, if I can help, that's kind of what I like to do. I want to do more media. I want to see black and brown faces on TV talking about science yeah. and STEM and their careers. Um, so I'm gonna need you to be like my social media mentor. <laughs> be like, how do you grow this and actually talk to people? Mm -hmm. Because I, you see these grades. <laughs> I'm the oldest one on this right now. I'm like, I am not social media savvy at all. <laughs> so I'm gonna need that young mentorship. You know? <laughs> okay. Um, but I love it. I'm and and getting the schools involved and talking. You know, making sure the schools know what's going on. Yes. I think that's great. Um, let me th just throw this out here. It's kind of on topic, but it's not on topic. So I was at Atlanta with this, all these entrepreneurs, right? And one of the big ones is the travel, of course. And it's like a black guy who takes groups to Africa, all over Africa. And you always got girls who travel, women who travel, you know, luxury travel, all this other stuff. And I was like, what if we did like STEM travel? Mm -hmm. We still go to Africa, but it's like STEM people are people who are interested in it. And so you're travel is more uh the plan the planning of it is more centralized like we're going to go to the museum in africa as well as a safari not just dinner 
at this one place. You know what I mean? So they have we'll programs talk. like that, but they're just not centered towards people who look like us. They're like, oh, if you can pay and you can afford it, you could come. But they're often, oh, yeah. you know, upwards of like five thousand dollars for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. of the summer. And so it's just not mm-hmm. it's not at all accessible to most people. Right. Very true. Like these these was all black people. They 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 six, seven, eight figure black people. Yeah. And I I was looking up like, well, you know, okay, I like that, but I ain't there yet. But you know, I like it. But yeah. Yeah, I mean you gotta get to the people who can pay to be able to give it to the people who can't pay. Exactly. Topic. I think <laughs> this is all great and we should probably have a planning session later. <laughs> <laughs> But I love that. I love um because I, I love the continuation of goals and seeing how you kind of evolved from being that person that in high school working with Nesby, you know, and then now all the way to wanting to do these bigger and better plans for broader impact research and um, providing more community interaction with what these STEMness or STEM leaders are doing and so on. I, I love all these ideas and then especially the media enrichment majority of us sit in front of a TV more than we read a book. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it's very important to one, be logical <laughs> and and have the common sense of understanding the average American and where they invest their time, but utilizing that as a resource as well. And I think that's a great avenue to take your, direct your, your, your passion and what you're going to do. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, I think we kind of went on that a subject, but we didn't finish it, which is like, what do you like to do outside of the sciences? Oh, yeah. What do you like to do outside of being a herpetologist? So what are some of the things that you enjoy doing outside of that? Yeah, so uh, I make pottery. I throw on the wheel. So that's probably uh, my biggest hobby. Uh, I have houseplants and I can spend hours and hours <laughs> with my houseplants. Um, I have a dog, a mini poodle. His name is Puka, and we spend a lot of time together. And and mm-hmm. now that I'm starting to get settled in the new job and stuff, I I want to start getting him uh, into like some like dog sports because he has like he's great because like he can if you need like a high energy dog he can be that if you need a dog that's just gonna come and like sit on your lap he can be that too but I know that he would love to get out and do something. Um, and so I need to I need to find us something to do. Um, I like hanging out with like my friends and my family, going out to new restaurants, like just exploring like this different parts of the city, exploring different parts of the world, um, and that and, and laying down and doing nothing. Because <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. That's, you know, enjoy that time. I miss them times. Yeah. You know, I miss just being like, oh, I can hang with my dog. Now my dog kind of gets on my nerves. But that's why I'm tired you know, from having a toddler. Yeah. So I'll be like, you know, I'm like, give me space, please. Mm-hmm. But he's still great. Um, so, what do you, I know you've talked about your goals. Um, what do you want to do in the next five years? Oh, I don't know. I haven't I haven't really had time to like figure that out because I've been having to I've been having to have it one day at a time. Honestly, I'm only just starting to feel back to normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, I'm only just starting to feel like a, a regular person again. I um I was actually on uh, the phone with Sam earlier. So Sam was one of our uh, fellow ambassadors. And I was like, yeah, I would when I first started this job, I would go to work and I would come home and sleep. I didn't even have I didn't even have the energy to eat dinner. <laughs> Um, I, I was like that. I was like that kind of tired, but now I'm starting to like really like acclimate. I'm starting to get it like all back together. So I, yeah, this this last two years or so have been real rough for me, and I really mm-hmm. haven't even been been able to think all that far in the future. Listen, understand. Yeah. I understand. You know. <laughs> Dr. Tay, you have anything you want to ask or add? Well, no, I wasn't, but I was going to definitely say if, if if anybody wants to reach out to you and, you know, hopefully ask some follow-up questions and maybe explore what their options or opportunities would look like based on your story, how can they reach you and hopefully get that extra mentorship or guidance? Yeah, so they could uh, send me an email at uh, afro, A-F-R-O, Herper, H-E-R-P-E-R at gmail.com. That's my email um, for things like that. Or they could go to my website, uh, AaronMcGee.com. 
um, and I have a, a contact uh, box on there. Nice. Well, thank you nice. so much. Oh, sorry. Yeah. One last thing. Let me ask you if you can tell your 17 year old self anything, mm. what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her, <laughs> I would tell her not to lose her dang on scholarship and party harder. Like you could do both, but you need to, you need to be ridiculous, but be reasonable in your ridiculousness because you weren't even partying enough to have lost it. <laughs> like girl, come on now. It's just going to make your life so much easier. Keep a scholarship and party harder. You could do both. I, I, I believe in you. <laughs> I believe in partying hard and studying harder. Okay, I get it. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna let you go. I know you got plans to for the rest of this evening. So, uh, if there's, or let's, I'm sorry, is there any last thing you want to say um, before we go? I think I kind of told y'all my life story at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we got it all. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, um, thank you. Thank you for joining us this evening, taking your time out, sharing your whole life story, your ups, your downs, and everything like that. We really, really appreciate all that you're doing, all that you're saying. Um, and if, Dr. Tay, you have anything you want to add? I was going to say thank you. I'm going to say something after I say thank you, so don't cut us off yet. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dr. McGee. Thank you so much. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize, but the importance of highlighting your journey and your STEM career aspects of your life, and even the science communication. We've talked about a lot of important, a lot of important topics here, right? A lot of people don't usually understand the full scope of the things, right? And you provided us a lot of different views. So I definitely appreciate you being here. Appreciate your transparency, and definitely appreciate just allowing us to probe and get in your yeah. business on some things too. <laughs> Because, you know, the real is what we need if I'm a, an aspiring herpetologist or aspiring science communicator. So thank you for providing all of those tidbits for us moving forward. Absolutely. Thank you and very then, much. We'll, absolutely. And we'll see you again. We're going to see will. you again. We're definitely <laughs> planning session. But before we leave, I just want to make sure we gave the opportunity because I want to ask Kat. Because Kat has an event coming up. I wanted to make sure because you know Kat was going, she was gonna close out in this I was, I was. Um, so I have in Living Science out here in Oakland, California, uh, on Sunday from eleven to three. We have about ten organizations from the Oakland Zoo to NASA to Chabot Space and Science, Jim, Self Esteem, USS Hornet, some other ones. They're all going to be doing hands-on activities there at the event. Um, so if you're in town, make sure you stop by. Stay hydrated. It's going to be 80-something degrees, which is hot for Californians. It's not hot, but it's hot for us. Um, we're going to do that. Oh, and I'll have some copies of my Carter Can Be an Astrophysicist book, uh, which is one of four. The other ones will be our Carter Can Be um, an Animal Biologist, a Marine Biologist, and a seismologist, which is geology. So I'll have some of these there as well on Sunday, children's books. Um, yes, and I don't talk about myself. Thank you, Sydney. She's going to be manning my table. So thank you. I see you in the comments. Um, and yeah, Absolutely. thank you, Dr. Tay, for making me talk about myself. Absolutely, because the people need to be there. The people need, it's free, right? It's free. It's for the community and it's free. What? Everybody needs to be there. If you are listening yeah. to our voices, make sure you are in the place to be for this science festivity. So thank you. Yes. Kat, for sharing. Thank you. Thank and thank you, you for putting that on because your community needs it. So I appreciate your effort and Sydney and everybody else that's helping out with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thank you for joining us tonight. And I uh, will see you next time. Good night. Bye.